You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. If you've ever tried to be a person of faith or have prayed hard to God or have tried to connect to a higher power, then you've probably experienced some moments where you feel like you're hearing from God, where there's some spiritual world speaking to you. You know, even though I was raised Catholic since the time I was a boy, baptized as a baby, had my first Holy Communion as a young boy, had my confirmation at 12 or 13, whenever that was, and so on. One of the most profound spiritual experiences I uh, ever had was... Sometime when I was in CCD, which is the program your parents put you in where the Catholic Church, if you don't go to Catholic school, which I didn't, they have some people volunteer to teach teach uh, children at night once a week about, you know, Bible passages and things related to Jesus and the faith. And you get all kinds of different people that agree to teach CCD. One, one year, and I believe this is when I lived up in Wisconsin, so I was somewhere between the ages of 9 and 13. One of my CCD teachers was this younger woman, kind of a chubby, not overweight, well, not fat, but slightly overweight, kind of bigger head, uh, <laughs> sort of a fat-headed <laughs> um, younger woman. Uh, who, who? Uh, I think, I think I remember her saying this. I think I remember her telling us in our first class with her that she used to use drugs and was getting involved in all kinds of bad things, but got out of it through her faith, and God had saved her life. But she told this story about how one of her mentors in the faith told her to do this and so she told us to do this which is she told us about how you can really feel the power of the Holy Spirit if you ask for it and there are many passages in the uh, in the gospels where they say ask and you shall receive and knock and the door shall be opened and what you know the God God uh, responds to those who ask for anything in the name of Jesus, in the name of his son, and so on and so forth. But she talked about getting on her knees in her bedroom, just actually going down on her knees and begging to feel the Holy Spirit and begging to have God act through the Holy Spirit, which is the third element of the Holy Trinity, uh, as taught in the Catholic Church, there are actually three entities. There's God, His Son, Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit, literally a third and separate entity. And Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, that it was going to come and bring the fire of faith with it. And what we are taught and what we believe is the Holy Spirit is really valuable and powerful because it can give us this sense of grace where we are lit up with forgiveness and with mercy. And we have to be in a special 
way, we have to be without sin and open-hearted to feel and to earn God's grace. And it's a gift. It's a gift of grace. But as the act of contrition, we learn as Catholics, also says, it is partially the grace that forgives us our sins, that washes away our sins, you know, and that helps us to stay fed, steadfast in our faith with, with your grace. You know, oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I detest all of my sins because of your just punishment, but mostly because they offended you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love. I firmly resolve with the help of your grace to sin no more and to avoid near occasion of sin. Amen. Act of contrition given at a confessional after you have confessed your sins. That's the one I learned anyway. But I firmly resolve with the help of your grace to sin no more. In other words, we in and of ourselves are completely incapable of sinning no more. We are weak. We are born of sin. And it's the grace of God and the power which comes from the power of the Holy Spirit which can help us to stay pure and to stay away from sin. So when you get down on your knees, as this woman in CCD taught us, you're praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to enter you, that connection, that high, that feeling of, uh, that jolt of elation that comes from connecting with the Holy Spirit, that feeling of grace and um, where you can tell there's something beautiful inside of you. And it's, so she told this story. So I went home and for the first time in my life throughout all, you know, all of my other Catholic rituals and being raised in the church and going to church, which I hated. I used to fight with my parents like crazy, not wanting to go to church. You know, I did not want to go to church at all. But that night I went home and I knelt in my bedroom, closed the door, just like she said to do. And I prayed really hard to God to send me the Holy Spirit and to feel what she was talking about. Because I had never felt it before. I didn't know what she was talking about, like being lit up, getting the power that you feel it and you know it's real. And she gave that as a story, as proof as to why she believed so strongly and what converted her. And she said that's what she did and she felt it and that is why she stopped using drugs and cleaned up her life. Again, I'm pretty sure that was the story. I remember the story about being on the knees and praying. I think it was related to a prior duck. She was a drug user. Um, so I did that. I went home and I did that. And I stayed down on my knees probably for 15 minutes, praying very hard, asking for God to send me the Holy Spirit, for me to feel the power of his grace. Um, and I felt nothing. <laughs> nothing came to me at all. Just It was just me just begging in my mind and squinching my eyes closed tighter and and squeezing my hands together in prayer, folded fingers more firmly, and uh, my knees started to hurt. (laughs) And I was just, you know, begging more and just intently focusing my mind and every bit of energy in my body on, on feeling the power of the Holy Spirit that she spoke of. And it never came. It never came. And I eventually just got up and said, well, that didn't work, but I gave it a shot. I didn't regret it. I didn't, I wasn't angry. 
I was certainly disappointed. But I went on with my little kid life, whatever age I was then, maybe 11 or 12, I don't remember. Exactly, like I said, it was somewhere between 9 and 13. Um, But I have felt that feeling since. Sometimes it's through the course of pray, prayer, pray. Sometimes pray, do it for I. <laughs> Goodbye, Baba da Boopa. <laughs> Sometimes prayer is the thing that brings spirit to Ray, me. Spirit, come to me. <laughs> um, other times it comes just just from. Life events. I have another. I have another thing that comes to me sometimes. I don't know if any of you have ever felt this. You just get the shivers, but not in a bad way. Sometimes something will happen, or someone will say something, and it's just so beautiful that I just I get like goosebumps, and I just get the little shivers, and I and I just go, Ooh. and and it's so beautiful. Like I feel like something was so impressively God to me that I can't help but have a physical reaction to it. Um, I don't get that hardly at all anymore. It just happened to me a few weeks ago, and I was like, wow, that has, it's been a long time. But I used to get that a lot. Um, but it takes, again, it takes hearing about a piece of news or seeing something or having something happen in your life that's just so beautiful that you just sort of get, you get all, you know, goosed up <laughs> because you're, for lack of a better word, it's a way to describe it. Because you know that it's something special and beautiful. And that sense of the Holy Spirit, that sense of the grace that I didn't get when I knelt as a boy, it's a high. I can tell you it's happening to me right now, by the way. Because I'm professing this story through this podcast, I'm getting a high. I'm feeling lit. Sure, the alcohol helps. No, I'm drinking coffee. It's it's 9.20 in the morning on a Thursday I'm retired, so I have nothing to do. I'm not working. It's beautiful, trust me. But let me add this. I don't get high. I don't get rushes of joy. It's been mind-numbing. I'm retired. It's the, I'm on my third week. And I was very curious. When I, when I was working, my weeks were full of stress and anxiety. And the weekends, too, I would often think of work and be bothered and worried but when I wasn't, when I was just free, I would just sort of be numb. And I would pray more during the week before I started my work days because I felt more, because I was more scared of work and more afraid of what. So I would really pray and feel things. Some mornings cry and get tearful in prayer and everything. But weekends would come and I just, I often wouldn't pray. On Sundays, I always pray, but uh, I wouldn't pray on Saturdays and I always have Mondays off too. And I, I often wouldn't pray on Mondays, I just would take a break from prayer and I didn't miss it and I didn't feel any. And I was like, just numb, happy, numb. Like I wasn't unhappy to be off, to be free. But I mean, I just was like, just like, yeah, okay, I'm free. Now all the worries are gone and I have nothing. You know, it's nothing. I'm just here. And that's kind of how I felt, how I felt through the three weeks so far of my retirement. And it's not good. I mean, it's fine. I'd rather feel numb than depressed. I'd rather feel numb than anxiety um but i'm finding not a lot of motivation to do things 
to want anything out of my life. I'm content to... I'm sleeping very regularly. I'm not napping during the day. I, I get to sleep usually by 11. I'm very tired. It just hits me. You know, when you get a good circadian rhythm to your sleep and you sleep regularly... It's so wonderful. Your body just tells you. It's like you can be awake, 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 and then it's like 5 to 11. You're like, oh, yeah. You just, it hits you, the exhaustion. It's sleep time. You know, you just, you're tired because it's 11 o'clock. It's bedtime, you know, and you go to sleep and boom, you're out. And then you might sleep a little restlessly or whatever. I don't always sleep perfectly through the night, but I stay asleep most of the night. And um, then 7 o'clock, your eyes open about the same time and you're still tired but you're like yeah i've had enough sleep and you get up and you feel good you feel good all day and it's amazing and you just have a regulated sleep pattern and it generally goes in accordance with sunlight and darkness and so that's beautiful too you know because darkness helps sleep and coolness helps sleep cool temperatures but i totally digress with that i apologize but what i'm saying is that you get in these rhythms and you don't even for me in retirement don't even um, think of other th- things to shake up life or do. I, I haven't had that yet. And, and it's a little alarming and a little disappointing because I thought when I had the free time, I would just have all this passion to do. Um, you know, I thought I would have this need to fill my days. So I'm making this podcast and I'm feeling what I've been missing through my retirement so far. And I'm making it about you feeling these things. And I'm making it about how do you get the Holy Spirit in grace? Well, one of the ways is you actually connect, meditate, try, you know. Now, like I said, it doesn't always come to you when you do that. And all the prayer books that you can read will tell you that, too. Just because you're asking for grace or or the power of the Holy Spirit to come to you, you don't get it all the time. Um, That CCD teacher... And her story was not an everyday occurrence, as I found out when I went home that night and tried it, and it didn't work for me. But that's one way it can work. You can feel blessed, holy, something special, another element to life, a spiritual spirituality, a higher level of awareness. It can come to you if you try, if you literally make the effort, if you close your eyes and focus on God, or, or you can leave them open, uh, but just focus on God and focus on a higher power or whatever God you believe in or gods or whatever you want to believe in. Although I am, I'm here to profess in one God and his one son and the story of Christian faith. I believe in it. Uh, it works for me. It has worked for me. And it is through that story and the belief in Jesus and the belief in the Holy Spirit as spoken of by Jesus that I have felt the Holy Spirit at various times throughout my life. And I have felt this sense of awareness, okay? And that's really the message I want to give you is that it's like tuning a guitar or warming up before singing your vocal cords or filling... (laughs) No, if that's not accurate, filling your car with gas i was going to say that's that's not on point what i mean is it's fine-tuning your senses in some way getting things aligned so that the notes can play that's when you can feel the holy spirit 
And some people get it from nature, but they don't attribute it to the Holy Spirit. They just feel peaceful, and they just love nature and the peace. But they don't talk about it as God coming to them, which it is. That's what's really happening to them. They just aren't open to that. So what I think is you have to fine-tune yourself to be receptive. It's like I remember reading Kierkegaard in college, and one of his brilliant thoughts, which I thought was very interesting, was that mental illness, and in particular schizophrenia, the hearing of voices, is this is real and it's happening in a person's brain because they're not making it up. They're hearing voices. Their auditory hallucinations aren't hallucinations. They're real, but they're not supposed to be hearing them because their brain is is malfunctioning. And same with depression, anxiety. It's an, it's a, it's we need our, to retweak our brains. They are off, so they're over experiencing these feelings of sadness. They're not getting enough serotonin. They're not getting their neurotransmitters aren't sharing energy significantly to keep the brain upbeat. Uh, and anxiety, similar, somehow malfunction of the brain. And what Kierkegaard wrote was that the brain was like a radio. And it is receiving signals because we still don't know how the brain operates still to this day. Scientists have cut apart so many human brains and tried to analyze it and they can understand how it shares information. But at the end of the day, it is an amazing organism that everybody poo-poos because you can't get a brain transplant. You know, you can get a heart transplant, a liver transplant that we can save lives through major organ you know, replacement and surgeries. But if your brain is just, that's it. And if you get brain dead from a uh, stroke or, or you know, uh, aneurysm bursting or uh, just lack of oxygen up there for an extended period of time, that's it. I mean, you, you can't revive it, revive it, and you can't replace it. And you can't have someone die and they die and you hurry up and replace their brain with someone and then that. It just doesn't work that way. So the brain blows away all of science. We have no idea. But Kierkegaard's theory was that it was a receptor. It was a radio antenna, effectively. And that much of what we are thinking and feeling is coming to us from outside of our bodies, in the air, in wavelengths that we, are, we cannot see. <coughs> and that our brain picks up on somehow. The tissue gets through the skull, makes its way through our skull, our eyes, our ears, the senses. The brain interprets it sucks it in like a radio and puts it out into our bodies and through our mouths and in our th what we call thoughts in a wavelength that we've translated from what we receive. We receive it, we translate it, and we push it out into our bodies in an understanding. And so what he was saying about schizophrenics and so forth is their radio antenna is a little off. It's broken. It's busted. It needs re repaired. They're picking up voices and seeing things that are there that we don't see because their perception's off. But it's there. And I thought that was fascinating and that we heal it because we're not supposed to see it. What we're hearing, in other words, it's almost like they're psychic, but in a, in a way that's disturbing their lives and their peace, and it's not helping them, and it's not helping us. 
They're hearing ghosts. They're hearing spirits telling them to do bad things, telling them to kill people, telling them to kill themselves, or, or just in general, telling them things that aren't true. Maybe it's bad spirits. Maybe it's good, good spirits and they're misinterpreting. The point is they're seeing and hearing things they're not supposed to be to help them live their lives. It's, it's a malfunctioning brain, a malfunctioning antenna, but it's real. I thought that was fascinating. And what I think is, whether or not you believe that, and I'm not sure I do, it's just a theory, but no way to prove it. But I do think that spirituality, the Holy Spirit, that feeling of purpose, that feeling of energy is out there. It's always out there. And you just have to turn on your antenna. You have to tune into it. Like you could turn on a radio and channel, pick a channel, I don't know, 93.5, you know, is out there. But your radio is tuned to 102.5. So you got to turn that dial and get it to 93.5 and then you'll hear it. It's out there. The radio waves are there. But you need to have a receptive, you know, uh, a device that can pick up the waves. And you need to tune that device to that particular wavelength to hear it. And I feel that way about the Holy Spirit. It's always out there, just like that, that radio station's running 24-7. It's always on, but you only hear it if you turn on your, uh, uh, why am I forgetting the name of this thing, damn it? Oh, it's, it's retired life. Your mind starts to go in the toilet. The, the, the antenna receptive, you know, the, the power source for a stereo system. It is your thing that you plug in that runs your CD player and maybe a tape deck and you plug the speakers and amplifier, amplifier. Thank you. Thank you. See, that came from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Turn on your amplifier. Tune it to the tuner. Put on the tuner element of the amplifier and then turn the dial to get to the wavelength. You'll hear that station that's already there. Other people are hearing it. It's there. You're not hearing it just because you haven't turned on the amplifier and tuned the radio to that station. See, so I think your body's the same way. So what you have to do if you want to feel God and want to get off drugs, get off alcohol, uh, get your life back in order, feel the Holy Spirit more, you have to take the time more to turn on your amplifier and tune into the station of the Holy Spirit to feel it. It's there. You're just not feeling it. So that's what, you know, you can do it in various ways. Some people do it through prayer. Others, meditation. Others, through nature. Others, through taking a walk. A lot of atheists go for walks and they, they know how it makes them feel. But they don't talk about the Holy Spirit. But what it does is it gets your blood pumping. It opens up your perception. But I see, to me... Like if you rearrange the furniture in your place or paint the walls a different color, it changes your perception. If you go outside, just even for a couple minutes, like if I go outside onto my deck and look out at all the trees behind my place, and I just, or if I sit out there, just even for a couple minutes, when I come back inside, the inside is different. I have a whole different perception of being inside my apartment. Sort of like when you go away on vacation. Have you done this? For a week a whole week away from your home. When you come back home, it, it all looks different again. It's amazing, isn't it? You go back into the same old house, you live there forever, and it just looks like, wow, home, wow. It, it it's, has a whole new, you have a whole new fresh perspective on that same home you see day in and day out. It's amazing what changing furniture around, changing 
coloring the, the walls, going outside for a few minutes, going for a walk, going away for a week, how it can, and now granted, when you come back home after a vacation within a day or so or less than that, back to the same old home, same old, same old, it loses, it fades real fast. But I believe that change in perspective is exactly what the Holy Spirit is. And it's there in those little moments. And it can be stronger and more powerful and more elating and more inspiring than even changing furniture or going for a walk. But when you do those things, that's the Holy Spirit. You're refining your ability to see what's there. That's there all the time, but you're not aware of it. This sense of beauty, the sense of awareness of meaning. To me, the power of the Holy Spirit is purpose, meaning. It's the thing. And you know another? Here's another secret. How do we get to the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you a great way. Discipline. Now, that is not going to sound good to you addicts out there or you, you hedonists, right? If you're living for sex or you're living for fun or you're living for joy, to you, you think the Holy Spirit or at least feeling good about life is about pleasure and joy. But it really isn't. I mean, it can be in moments, you know, but the song, right? Joy and rain, sunshine and pain, yin and the yang. You need to experience and understand the depths of sadness and loss to fully appreciate the gains of joy and happiness. So that it's amazingly beautiful to have both. And the balance of both is the essence of being a human being and existing pleasantly in it. Um, so I, I just think that we need to understand um, loss in order to really fully appreciate joy. And we can tune into happiness by uh, discipline, which is a form of loss. Because what is discipline? It is denying our hedonistic impulses. And what you find if you always give in to those impulses is joys like addiction. It's a perfect example. The joy becomes a compulsion, and it's not fun anymore. People will slam down drinks, two in the morning, three in the, and I mean two drinks worth, first thing in the morning, or three, first thing when they wake up, just to get to a level of feeling normal. People will wake up and immediately, you know, fill a bowl with with weed and smoke it. They roll over in bed and smoke an entire bowl. It's like the only thing that makes them face the day and get out of bed. And it's the thing that sort of stabilizes their body, their brain, sometimes quite physically, if they're an alcoholic, stabilizes them. But the reality is they don't feel good anymore. I know most people drink because they liked, they used to, they started to drink because they liked the way it made them feel. They got into pot or whatever because it made them high, which means happy, which means free feeling and joyful. But when you become an addict, it's you don't even feel good when you're drunk all the time or high all the time. You just feel like, okay, but you're actually depressed and the anxiety creeps back in. You might have smoked the pot to fight you off your anxiety. But if you smoke so much of it all the time, you end up, the anxiety's right there with you while you're high. <laughs> and it's almost like if you don't smoke the pot or drink the alcohol, then the anxiety, which is still there anyway, or the, or the depression, which is still there anyway... It just feels even worse now because now you're faced with it without the buffering of the substance. But my point is, 
if you want to know how to really make that anxiety go away, and if you want to know how to make the depression go away, it's not by use of a substance. It's by use of discipline. It's the opposite. It's exact opposite. You don't reach for that thing that you think is going to bring you joy, and that smothers the pain. What you do is you do the hard work that you don't want to do, the thing that's making you anxious. You face the very thing you're afraid of head on, and you force yourself to do this thing that your instinct is to avoid and you don't want to do. And when you do it, what happens? When you're done, when you complete it, when you face your fears, when you face your sadness and you go at life anyway, when you exercise self-discipline, you get high. When you're done, you get elated. And I feel strongly that's a huge inroad for the Holy Spirit. Self-discipline, and, and, and the priests will agree with me on this, and the, and the monks and those that go away in isolation and they beat themselves and everything else, self-flagulation. Well, some of that, too, in the, in the church. No, but surf, flag, flagulation, flag, flagulation. Okay, I'll Google it after I'm done with the podcast. Anyway, flag, flagulation, flagulation. Anyway, they beat, the, they take whips and literally whip their backs, you know, the monks in the olden days, to, because the pain and the sacrifice made them closer to God. And I'm telling you, I've read prayer books. I've done this. It works. Not the beating of my back. Sacrifice. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Too many people today still think life is supposed to be joy and happiness and fun. And if it isn't, something's wrong. No, you don't chase after joy all the time. You, you, what you'll find is it's, it, it, it's never satisfying. Just like rich people find, no matter all the money they have, it's never satisfying enough. You know, they never have enough. There's always, they got to have more, they got to have more. It's the, the anxiety chases them. That, that idea of having more constantly is eating at them. You know, what, what makes you satisfied is the discipline and doing the hard thing and facing and dealing with the sadness and facing the anxiety, taking it on. That is the part that brings the happy, then the happy side of life is so much better. You know? You, do, you face the yin, you enjoy the yang, you know, and you end up looking forward to that rainy day because there's a beauty in the cloudiness and the darkness and the rain. There really is. And everybody says, oh, I love the sunny days. I just want the sunny days. But trust me, you know, th there's so much better when you've had a few rainy days before them. Then the sunny day is that much more beautiful, and it actually gives you more of a high. It's like that first snowfall. You notice? You remember that? I mean, do you ever have that? Maybe you live in California. Maybe you live somewhere. Maybe you've never seen snow. But for those of us, you know, who, who live in, in climates where every year there's, there's a first snowfall, every year, without fail, the first time it snows and you get that and everything gets covered white, it glows. It comes in through your windows. You know, you, you know, you can look out at your peripheral vision, the corner of your eye. You can be sitting in your home and you can tell it's white out there and it feels cool. It feels wonderful. And when you look at it, it's magical. And then after a couple weeks, you just want the fucking snow to go away. <laughs> Because it's hard to drive in. You got to shovel it. You slip in it. It's cold. It's gross. It's, you know, I mean, it loses its magic. 
pretty fast. Some, for some people love it all year long, whatever, all winter. That's fine. Good for you. For most people, snow kind of loses its magic. But the first snowfall is always magical. It really is. And so it was a sunny day after rain. And I think perspective and tuning into the Holy Spirit and feeling that enlightenment is made so much easier when you prepare for it by self-denial. And I think if you want to find less anxiety and less sadness in your life, again, I'm not poo-pooing mental illness. If you have mental illness, what you need to do is get your brain fixed. Okay, Kierkegaard's theory, your radio's antenna is fucked up a little bit. You need to fix it, you know. You can't replace your brain, but there are drugs, wonderful drugs they've created nowadays to heal it. To, to fit, and, and you can take them for a while and get off them and be better. I mean, some people are chronically ill and they're going to live the rest of their lives with mental illness. Others literally have episodes that could be treated and addressed and they go away. And they might have another one later in life. Another trauma comes along and triggers your depression and you have to fix it again. But that's the way to look at mental illness. These are, these are breaks that need, need, need fixed. But I'm here to tell you, I'm, and I'm a believer in medication therapy, and I'm a, I'm a believer in therapy in general um, as means of fixing mental illness. But I'm also here to tell you, you can do a lot of good yourself to fix any sadness or bleakness or a lack of connection to any sense of meaning. Uh, and you can, you can tune into the Holy Spirit, and you can turn on your amplifier by self-discipline. And when you wake up in a, on a given day and say, I want to eat breakfast. I want to order McDonald's or go out and get McDonald's. And you know that this is your hedonistic bad behavior. And you know that if you eat that big carb breakfast, then the day's screwed from a diet perspective. And you're going to eat tons all day. And you're going to be lying around like a gluttonous, slothful pig in a carb coma all day. And you can just chase after that impulse and live in that way. Or you can say, no, I need to reshape my day. I need to restrain myself. I need to tell myself no to what it wants and give it what it doesn't want, face what is that other thing I should be doing that I don't want to be doing, but that it's good for me to do. You need to accept that order from yourself. No, you will do X, not Y. Listen to that. Do it. And I'm telling you, on the other end of having done that, you get this high. You get this rush. And the more disciplined you become, and then, and then when you get your joys, they're so much more satisfying. When you allow for your pleasures, they aren't constant and chronic to the point where you get numb to them. To the point where they become like smoking pot every day all the time or chugging drinks just to get to normalcy. You're actually... You know, enjoying a couple drinks at dinner and it feels nice and you feel a buzz from it. And it's a pleasurable thing again. And then you put it away and you face your disciplines and your responsibilities. And the balance of life is what we should be striving for. And we should be going for, as they say in mental illness, when they talk about it, they talk about reaching, uh, you know, the, the a big problem most people with 
generic mental illness, depression, anxiety have is mood swings, mood shifts. And what they're looking for is mood stability. And they're looking for what they call, the term they use, baseline. Has he or she reached baseline level of mood? And that's what they're looking for when they tweak medications and all that. And baseline means that most days you feel kind of happy, kind of sad. You feel normal. You do, and I, normal is, I don't care about the word normal because I like abnormal and I like people who are different and creative and bizarre. So I apologize for slipping up and saying normal. What I mean is you feel fine. You know, you feel like I'm in love with her and I feel fine. Ding, 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 Sixties, oh, please put that song away. I don't ever want to hear it again. Anyway, I love the Beatles, but God, most of their songs, every time I even think of them, I'm like, ugh. I've just, they've been so played out. The Beatles have been played out to me. Anyway. Um, yeah, you can actually feel baseline is feeling fine. Stability of your mood isn't a bad thing as long as you can still get those highs. Now, like I'm telling you, I've been really stable and retired state here three weeks, but it's bad. It's a bad stability. It's not baseline. It is this kind of numbed out, fucked up thing. I mean, it's for me, it's because I've been eating most of the time gluttonously. <laughs> And that numbs me and bloats me and just makes me, I don't have any sadness, I don't have any anxiety, but I also don't have any drive or desire and I'm just sort of content but in a very, very obliterated way because that's my addiction, that I, that's my weakness is consumption of food. And um, others have other addictions or other weaknesses or other impulses or, that they follow that just as much or worse, cause them to feel dissatisfied in the end. And what I'm saying to you is self-discipline and telling yourself no to those impulses and rearranging your day and waking up and saying, no, I'm not going to do this thing that my natural flow of instinct and impulse is telling me to do. I'm going to take charge of my body. I'm going to use this thing called a brain that God gave me. And the thing that separates man from animal is the ability to make choices. So I'm going to look at this day as a choice. And I'm not going to follow my guttural animal instinct and desire. Because that keeps leading me down the same path. And it's a path that isn't satisfying me. And I notice that I'm of a personality where when I go down that path, I go too much. I go too far down that path. Other people seem able to dabble a little in this, a little in that. They have moderation in their lives. I don't. I'm an excessive person. If I allow my guttural instinct to take over, I go too far with it. My impulse rolls on out of control. So I need to understand that that's how I am. That's who I am. And I need to step back and tell myself no. I need to take charge with my brain of my day, as it starts, before it starts. And several times throughout the day, remind yourself, no, you told yourself no, no, there it is again, that thought, you want this thing, that's not what you want, that's not going to help you, that's not who you are, don't do that. And what I'm saying from all this, you're like, well, why? Why are you telling yourself no? Why do, well, why does the parent say, get your hand out of that cookie jar to the children? Why does the parent say, no dessert till after dinner? 
Because they know what's good for you. You need to eat your vegetables. Why? Because it's good vitamins. They want you to grow up and be strong and healthy. If you eat cookies all the time, your teeth will rot out. You won't have enough nutrients. You won't be healthy. So when parents control children's diets, it's because they understand the science and they're trying to help them be healthy. That's all. But the child's instinct is to eat candy and to not eat vegetables and to run out and play all the time and not learn and not do their homework. Don't tell me our instincts are what's best. In many ways, our instincts, especially if we are of an obsessive or addictive personality type, will continually lead us down self-destructive paths. Our instincts, while sometimes beautiful and wonderful, if we listen to them all the time, we would be lumps of shit, like I'm turning into three weeks into my retirement. And I don't want to be a lump of shit, and I don't want to die young, and I don't want to have a heart attack or stroke. So I have to watch my intake, and I have to be restrictive and self-disciplined in my eating. For you, it may be your drinking or your use of marijuana or any other thing that you're obsessive about that you know is no longer really bringing you happiness because you're overdoing it and because it's blotting out the reality of the hard work and the suffering that is part of your life too. Look, joy and rain, sunshine and pain, yang and yin. (laughs) You know, we have to accept the reality of carrying our cross. One of the most wonderful aspects of the Christian faith is that reality. It's not about beating yourself up and feeling guilty and hating yourself and calling yourself a sinner. That's what everybody tries to tag Christian faith and Catholics with, oh, Catholic guilt, Catholic guilt. No, it's about, hey, we of all people who, who believe in Jesus understand that life is not all a bed of roses, you know, that life is a struggle, that there are many challenges every day. But the key is facing them and having the strength to make yourself face them and being disciplined enough to face them and being restrictive enough of your impulses and using your brain and your higher level of reasoning and your higher powers in general to say, look, self-discipline's a beautiful thing because after self-discipline comes being in tune with the spirit. It is exactly this, uh, allowing yourself to suffer through that thing that you're afraid of. And then you realize, you know what? Wow, that was way easier than I thought. That was way scarier in my head than it was in practice. I'm so glad I did that. Whether it's a workout, right? We don't want to work out. Oh, I don't want to do that. When you're done, boy, do I feel good that I worked out. And here's the thing. The more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. At first, it's really hard to tell yourself no to that bad food you want to eat or to that drink. Or it's really hard to tell yourself yes to do that workout. Or it's really hard, you know, to get yourself your ass to to work. But the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. And you wake up and you're dragging your ass to work and you don't want to do it, but it's part of it's just what you have to do. Or you get up and it's like, you know what? I didn't even think about eating today. 
I'm on my diet. I'm drinking my coffee. Everything's good. I don't need anything. It's not even entering my mind. You know, or you think, wow, I've had that bottle of booze over there an entire week and I haven't touched it. Wow. Why, why have I not, you know, thought to have a drink? And it's like, because you just don't need it. You're locked into a different lifestyle and you're happy. You're actually content. You've reached baseline. You're stable. You don't need to play with your emotions or moods by drinking. You're okay as is, you know? And the way you got to that point, well, how did I get here? By engaging in telling yourself no. By engaging in self-discipline. And I'm telling you, it's in those times where you really feel the Holy Spirit. So if you want to feel that rush and that high that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes from being connected, it really does start with self-discipline. How do you refine, how do you turn on your amplifier and tune in your radio to get to that Holy Spirit? You can do it through meditation, prayer, walks, but I'm telling you, the number one way is through self-discipline. And the number one way that you tune into Jesus and to God and to his messenger of faith and hope and to his grace, the power, and it's very powerful, of his grace, is through self-discipline and denial, self-denial. It's and through surviving suffering, carrying your cross. Carrying your cross is a hugely powerful way to feel elated, joyful, happy. I know it sounds crazy, but when you face head on the problems of your life and carry that cross, that's when you feel the power of the Holy Spirit stronger than ever, and it fills you with joy. Part of it is relief that you did the thing you didn't want to do. (laughs) But part of it is a sense of accomplishment. And another part of it is a sense of knowing that you are right with God and right with what should be. You have done the right thing. The hard thing, but the right thing. And when you're able to make yourself do the right thing, it feels really good. Now, if if you're making others force you to do the right thing all the time, if you're putting yourself into rehab all the time and living in a forced environment, that's not the same thing. It's about you choosing to do the right thing and making yourself do it. And when you can do that over and over again, you build up this habit where it becomes second nature. But what doesn't become second nature is the power of the Holy Spirit in the sense of joy that comes to you from knowing that you're functioning the way God wants you to, the way you really want you to. You're actually taking charge of your life and you're being strong and you're making yourself do the right thing. And holy shit, you didn't even think you had it in you. How about that? It wasn't as hard as you thought. You actually set your mind to it and look at you now. You're making it big time. I'll, I'll end this podcast just by giving you a, uh, one little story. It's simple, not that big of a deal, but a few years back, uh, I ended up losing my telework, which is the ability to work from home. I lost it for an entire year, and I hadn't worked in the office day in and day out, five days a week, or four days if I work a four-day schedule, uh, in, in 20 years. It had literally been 20 years since I had to be in the office every day. Like every morning, get up, drive into town. Every morning, be in town all day long. Come home, make your own dinner, go to bed, wake up, do it again. 
day after day, that whole thing. Hadn't done that in 20 years because I had had at least two days at home uh, through, through those 20 years. And, and, and it actually had grown to, th- grown to three days at home. And I was only working one day a week in the office for like eight years. And prior to that, it was, it was two. I was working two days in the office. And prior to that, it was one day. Uh, I mean, prior to that, it was three days, one day at home. But the point is, I hadn't been every day in the office in 20 years. And uh, I lost my telework, and I had to go in every day. And that was going to be a year-long thing. Now, here's the thing. At that time, my left ankle, which is a problem for me because I have flat arches and I have issues with my feet, especially the left foot and ankle. And I was told as a child, you're going to have issues as you get older, and I have. I, they've developed very bad arthritis, and uh, I'm sure I need it looked at. It's probably bone on bone. But it was really hurting me at this time when they told me, you have to be in the office every day. I was like, how can I do this? I can't walk. I can't even walk right now, and they're going to make me walk around every day. Don't they understand I'm old now, and I'm really fucked? They're going to make me do this physical aspect that I'm not prepared for. I'm not able to handle. It's like all the people saying, just go jogging, go biking. go." They tell you all this physical activity when you're fat. They don't understand how fat hurts you already physically. So that if you went and did that, you'd have a heart attack and die. Or you'd break your leg. I mean, you know, you'd pull a hamstring. I mean, when you're heavy, you can't just force yourself into physical activity. Maybe when you're 20-something or 30-something. But as you get older, if you have weight on you, the worst thing to do is to just start exercising. You'll rip your body apart. The best thing is lose weight first. Take that weight off. But anyway, I digress. The ankle was all screwed up. I didn't know how I was going to make it. That day, I was reading my Bible, and I read a Bible passage, boom, the same day. And it said, I will hear, it literally was in the, the passage I read. I will heal the broke or the, the wounded leg or wounded ankle or wounded foot. I forget which, but totally spoke to me. It was absolutely on point. And I was in the process of praying to God, please, God, tell me, how can I do this? How can I make it through this? And that's what was said right there. Like it was a promise that God would heal me and there. And he did. I started working in the office, and uh, at first it hurt more to walk on it. But after a, a few months, I took some weeks, a couple of weeks off, and I got some vacation. And when I went back, it never hurt me again. I mean, by Christmas, it was crippling. It was really bad. It was doing all the bad things I thought were going to happen from walking on it every single day. But then after I took a couple weeks off in January, after walking on it for three months solid, working every day, I took a couple weeks off in January, and then it was better. And now it just, ever since then, and it's been about three years since then, it just acts up from time to time. <laughs> uh, and it, it's bad. I need, I need to get it fixed, but it's just, uh, it did not cripple me. It seemed there was a healing that was brought to my ankle. And I read that passage and it was promised. And I kept, I, another thing that happened is I was praying again one morning as to asking God to reach out to me and tell me how I was going to deal with this and how I could make it. And while I was praying, I heard this scratching at my door. Literal scratching. Like what? And I was literally asking God for a message and for a sign. 
And I got up and I was scared and I just opened the door a little bit. And this big freaking cat with a bushy head, like wild haired face cat. Well groomed though. It wasn't a mangy gross cat, but this it had a really bushy, weird face, like hair all brushed out like a lion's mane around his head. He just came tearing into my apartment. I, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? There was a cat in my apartment. And, and, and he was scared, and he looked at me, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he, and he tried to go into my bedroom, and I like, stopped him, and he froze. And I, I, I went towards him, and he stood there, and he let me come towards him. And I saw he had a collar on him, so he was a, but there was nothing on the collar. But there was, there was a collar around his neck. So he was a lost cat that obviously had come from somebody's home, and he just scratched on the wrong door. And um, I was scared because I wasn't sure if he had his shots or whatever, and I have a cat. And I was scared of him infecting my cat or bringing ticks in or somehow, I don't know. I was worried about this strange stray cat coming in. How long had he been outside? And so I was afraid of it uh, in that regard. I called the office. They did not have any reports of lost pets. Um, so what I ended up doing is, is uh, coaxing him to go back outside my door and putting food and water outside for him and shutting him back outside. And the plan was, the hope was, that he would find his way back to his home. You know, he came to the wrong door. And what's funny is at first he was outside there like wanting to come back in and I was really brokenhearted and really sad and really felt like I should let him in. I should take him in. But like I said, I called and checked and tried to find if there was some, if I could bring him to the office, if there was somebody who was looking for a cat, there was none. There was nobody reported. And I didn't want to leave him in my place with my cat. So that's what I did. And within a few minutes, he was gone. And I don't know if he ever found his way home or not. But he decided on his own after being out there for only a couple minutes, even though I put food and water out there, he did drink the water. He did drink some water. I don't think he ate any of the food. And he was just gone. I think he, it might have occurred to him where he lived. And he went and found it. That's what I'm hopeful of. And it was as if it never happened. And he was just gone. And I called the office again a week later or some days later, and they never still have heard anything. And so nothing was reported, and I don't know what happened. But it was a kind of a weirdly profound moment because of the timing and what I was asking for and then that noise. It was so strange. Nothing like that has ever happened to me before in my life, ever. All these years, nothing like that. And the moment that it came, it was like God scratching at my door bursting in and then leaving and disappearing. And it was such an unusual moment. And I knew that it meant something. I didn't know what. I still don't know what. Except this. It meant I am here. It meant I am with you. I will send this cat to your door to tell you that I'm here. If you need to know that you have me by your side through this hard thing that's being asked of you, losing your telework, going into work every day, I am here. And don't worry about your ankle. I will heal it. It will hurt at first. It will beat up. But trust me, I have a plan. I will heal it. You will be fine. And that's what happened. And you know what else happened? 
only seven months into my one-year sentence, (laughs) the pandemic hit and I was sent home. And I never worked another day in the office again. And I worked the next two years and four months at home every day before retiring. I never finished the one year of unfair, wrong uh, cancellation of my telework that my uh, employer screwed me with. It was a complete rook job. It was very unfair. Never had to do it. Got released from it. Had more days at home than I would have it if I had never lost my telework because of never going in then for the next almost two and a half years. I did the math and I actually ended up so that I was home more than I ever was in the office. All those days, day after day after day, I actually more than got them all back. I got them all back and then some. And then I retired. Justice, see? Long term, big picture, look down the road. Self-discipline, face the fear, face the depression over that horrible experience. Go at it, pray, open up to God, Be aware, listen, tune your radio into the Holy Spirit and you get it and you get, you get strengthened and you carry on and you achieve and you feel great. And there is justice and there is a reward and there is a a high that will come to you. You just have to be self-disciplined and face the uglinesses of life. You can't run from them. You can't say, oh, I just want it all to be copacetic all the time and joyful and cushy and, you know, just all about having fun. No, you have to say, I understand that life is is part good and part bad and we have to carry our cross. And okay, God, okay. Okay, I'll carry my cross. Okay, I'll do this. You got me. What are you going to do for me? Are you going to have my back? Are you going to send me the Holy Spirit? Or are you going to just let me suffer? I'll do this. I'll pick this up. I'll do this bad thing. Are you going to be there for me? Are you going to love me through it? And God always says yes, and then he does. If you pick up that cross and take those steps, if you exercise that self-discipline, God always sends you the Holy Spirit. God always heals your wounded leg. God will send a messenger, furry-faced, lion-faced cat to your door to tell you, I am here, and he will carry you through. But you have to face reality first and face the challenge you have to go at your your sadnesses and your hardships and do the do the right thing you have to do the right thing and carry your cross carry your cross and the holy spirit will come i promise you i promise you i love you Yabba da boop